Good to see everybody here for worship. Big football game today. Go Niners. Any Niner fans? Couple? We'll keep it down over there. Um, <laughs> I'm excited about that game. I was born in San Jose, lived in Sonoma, north of San Francisco. Anyway, transition here. Trying to figure out how to do it, but I can't, so we'll just transition. We're talking about the church and the way that the church, when we think about, when you think about the word church, think about what comes to your mind. For a lot of us, it's different things. Some of us, it's a good experience. Some of us, it's a pretty bad experience. Some of us, we get reminded of the time when our mom was pinching us because we're talking in church. Some of us remind us of time when you're dozing off, looking at things in church. And um, but the challenge is to see the church the way that it was intended to be. That's a real challenge. We have an image in our mind of what church is all about, and the real struggle is to figure out what is the church supposed to look like. We know what comes to our mind, but what was it intended to be? Because from the very beginning, and if you'd like, you can follow along. We we have this listening guide, and so if you want, you can follow along with this. Kind of fill in some blanks here and there. But a couple things just to review to get us up to the passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning. Um, from the very beginning, the church began as a movement. From the, from the start of the church, when the church began, it was a movement. It wasn't created to be a building like this. It wasn't, the church was never created to be an institution or a hierarchy or a building and a, and a meeting place. But it began as a movement. The idea was that the church was people. It was a gathering, a congregation of people who were spreading a message that they believed could change the world. And it had the power to do that. And it has advanced. Over the past 2,000 years, we look around and the church that began 2,000 years ago after Jesus died and was resurrected, it advances, it goes on, it continues to grow and reach out and spread out. And we, we have to ask questions. How did that happen? How did this little band of followers not get extinguished in the first century with all the persecution, with all the people that died because of their faith and what they were believing, how different it was from what the culture believed? How is it possible that this little movement, that this little band that began with, you know, about 2,000 years ago, a hundred or so people hit the streets in Jerusalem and they have this unique message that centered around the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. Christianity was not founded on a set of teachings or a list of activities, but Christianity was centered around an event. The event was Jesus' resurrection. He came back from the dead. He was, he was dead, confirmed dead, buried in a tomb, and then three days later he arose and he showed himself alive in physical bodily form. People touched the scars on his body. They saw the place where the nails were driven through. And, and they, this is the real deal. This is Jesus. And so he, he sent... His band of followers, he, he was about to ascend into heaven. He gave them this commission or this mission for their life, which was, you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to take this message of Jesus' life, his resurrection, his death, his resurrection, and the hope that he offers. You're going to take that message all around the world. It's going to start here in Jerusalem, where we're at, he said, and then Judea, outer region, and then reaching out to the remotest parts of the world. And the church from the very beginning understood that they were called, they were supposed to be a, a, a group or a, a gathering or a community of people that were to be so much more than just about inward stuff. They were never intended to be about the inward insider church community as their primary focus. That was never the intention, what Jesus had, his, had in mind. And the church understood that. 
And so what they did is they began to share, not just together and huddle around with their small group of 120 people and just have Bible studies and just you know, relate to this little group. Instead, they started spreading out. And people, large numbers of people, began to embrace Jesus for themselves in huge numbers. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, a couple of weeks ago, we looked about how on the opening day, the grand opening day of the church, Peter, this guy, gets up, preaches about Jesus, large crowd of people is listening, and on that day, 3,000 people respond and say, we believe that Jesus is, is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. They give their lives to Jesus. And then within a few weeks, another 2,000 people respond to a message again. And we're told that by the time we reach the part of the story we're going to look at today, about 5,000 men alone had surrendered their life to Christ. That's about 10% of the population of Jerusalem. So there's this, this little movement that was nothing, and all of a sudden it's just blown up in a short period of time. And it caught the attention of all sorts of people. People that were interested, the religious leaders of those days, were, you know, it just caught all this attention. The problem was all this attention disrupted the delicate balance that the Roman government had with the Jewish authorities. Because there was this peace between Rome and the Jews that occupied their land, the land of Israel and all those little cities in there that they once were in charge of. Well, Rome came in, took over, and now Rome was really in charge, but they allowed the Jewish authorities to still be in some leadership functions. And there was this balance of power that they were very careful to protect. And when this movement of Jesus' followers exploded, the balance of power was rocked and disrupted. And because of that, this brand new movement ran into trouble. And so... You read in the story, Acts, the the book we're going to look at, is really a history book. It's a history of the church. How did the church start from day one, and to how did it expand? How did it reach out? And so in order to calm things down, the Jewish authorities, they decide we're going to round up these Christians together, and we're going to suppress this movement. And so in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John, the leaders of the church at that time, they'd healed a man, all these people are going and really excited about what they just saw. The Jewish leaders arrest Peter and John, put them in prison, and warn them not to talk about Jesus anymore. No more talk about the resurrection. No more talk about the fact that you saw him alive. No more speaking about that name. And instead of giving in to fear like we might have done if we were in their shoes, instead of being afraid to continue to do what they were asked to do by Jesus himself, in Acts 4.29, the believers prayed this bold prayer. And bold prayers are a mark of of the first century church. This is something you see in the first century church. They were bold people. They boldly proclaimed. They prayed for more boldness. And they prayed this bold prayer. They had just been arrested and warned, do not speak about this name anymore. And then they gather. They get released from prison. They gather as a large group again. And they pray this prayer. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with great boldness. They're praying and they're saying, God, would you make us bolder? And we looked at that last week and we said... It's amazing. They're asking for boldness, but it was boldness that landed them in jail in the first place. Because they were bold, they got imprisoned. And now they're asking for more boldness. I think that this whole story and this leading up to this point, it fascinates me because it challenges me in my own personal life, in the way that I live, the way that I relate. And the truth is, we live in one of the safest neighborhoods, in one of the safest regions of this you know, safe country, and, you know, we're like in the safest part of the world, aren't we? 
If you think about what's all around the world when you, when you watch the news, we live in this safe, protected area and this safe nation, and yet we're still so, so scared. We're still so worried and afraid. We've got all sorts of insurance and lawyers and all this protection. And the problem is all the safety precautions that we take as Americans has crept into our faith. And so we play it safe with our faith. And we're so scared. We're so worried. And honestly, there are some Christians in other parts of the world, in certain parts of the world, that if they heard, if they were to listen into some of the way that we pray, they would gag. They would laugh because of the pressure that they're under constantly, daily. If they were to live, if the universal church around the world in some of the areas that really are suffering and being persecuted for their faith, if they were able to listen into some of our prayers, man, they would, it would just, they would laugh. And if you're here this morning and you're not, you've not decided to follow Christ, um, then you kind of get to listen in on a talk where we're going to squirm a little bit because of some of the things we talk about. Because sometimes we read passages of scripture and it just challenges us to, to, to get outside of ourselves. And so I hope that if you're exploring Christianity, you'll understand what, the, what it really means to follow him, what that might cost, not financially, not just relationally, not just physically, but what the overall, what does this really mean? What does God want of my life? But there, I would imagine if people listening to some of my prayers, they would just... I, I encouraged us last week, to evaluate what we're praying, to think through, what am I praying? So I did that. And I shared some of these already with you last week. But God, help us to have a safe trip. I imagine some people would listen in that prayer and they would think, wow, you guys have cars? That's so amazing. That's so cool. You know, they haul us around in, not the back of pickups, but in the back of dump trucks. Now, God, help us to have a safe trip as we put on our seatbelt with our airbags and everything else that we've got, side, rear, roof. I don't know how many airbags there are, but... You know, just we're a very safe culture. Or God, help me to get through school. Oh, you get to go to school? Man, that's amazing. I imagine other people would say, wow, that's so, what a privilege. Help me to get through school. Or God, bless me. You know, there are Christians, when we pray, God, would you bless me? Would you help me to advance? Would you? There are Christians around the world that would say, you don't have enough already. You have so much money, that you, your extra money goes in your ashtray in your car. I mean, it's true, isn't it? Like we, and yet we, we pray, God bless us. When we take a step back from the American church and we, we think about what the universal church might think of the way we do life and listen in on some of the way that I pray and that you might pray, you know, help me, help me, help me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And, and yet I still catch myself praying some of these Weak, anemic prayers. And like we said last week, some of them don't challenge God at all. <laughs> some of the things we pray for are going to happen anyway. And God, I think, would want us to say, why don't you ask me for something difficult? Why don't you ask me for something big that you can't do on your own? But of all the Christians in all the world, and Christianity is this huge movement, and of all the Christians in all the world who have the least to fear, it is us in America. We have the least to fear. And yet we have also the least bold believers in all the world. We're this safest, protected place, and yet we're the least bold of, of, of all believers. And honestly, as I think about my own things, I'm like, how embarrassing some of the things that I pray. God, would you... And I, I still need to pray. 
for those things, for safety, for my kids. For, I'm not saying don't pray for those things, but I think God wants us to, to, to be more bold. The truth is, our, our safety has eroded our boldness. And without boldness, we're not able to do what God wants us to do in this life. And we're not afraid of persecution. Are you afraid of persecution or imprisonment or beatings? What we're afraid of is they may not like me. They may, I may be embarrassed. This may damage my reputation. We're afraid of those kinds of things. And we've lost our edge. We've lost what this movement began. There was a time, though, when the local church was so focused on spreading the message of Jesus that the outside world, they looked in and they saw something radically different. And they were compelled to learn about that. There was a time when there was a group that spread the message that was this. Here's the message. Everybody is going to live forever somewhere. And God has sent us an answer to that problem, to that dilemma. Every single person on earth is going to live forever somewhere. And God, you know, through Jesus, has brought us assurance to answer that question. And that's what they spread. And they were bold in, their, in this movement. There was a time where... The church shared so much, and you can read about this in the book of Acts. They were such an open-handed church. They didn't just claim everything for themselves. There was no time for selfish prayers because they saw the needs of others around them, and they were so invested personally in helping to meet others' needs. And then those on the outside said, I want, I want a piece of that. I want to get in on that movement. I want to be living for more than just myself and my family. That's the way the church started. So this morning's message is kind of a talk about how do we For those of you who have already decided to follow Christ, if you haven't decided, then really you just get to sit and enjoy while we have a hard talk about an area of a very difficult area of following Christ. But this is an area I think we need to amp up our boldness because we have almost nothing to be afraid of, especially here in this country, especially in these cities. We have almost nothing to be afraid of. So let's look at Acts chapter 5. Peter and John and the rest of the church. They just prayed for boldness, and God gives it to them. They head back into the streets, and people from all over the place in Acts chapter 5 are bringing sick family relatives and sick people to interact with the disciples so they can be prayed for and healed. And God's healing all these people through this small group of followers. And then the religious leaders, they just keep getting bothered and bothered. And so Luke says the religious leaders are frustrated that these apostles, these followers of Christ, are getting all the attention. They were used to getting all the attention. They were used to everyone asking them for help. And now everyone's flocking to this movement. And they're so jealous, they round up all the apostles. They round all up. There's 11, maybe 12 at this point. There's one follower who betrayed Jesus, is replaced. Let's say 12 followers are rounded up. They're put in prison. And in the middle of the night, they're going to be put on trial the next day. In the middle of the night, an angel comes. And it's Scripture just says, an angel comes unlocks the door and tells them, get back out there. Keep sharing. And so they do. They head out of the jail. The next morning, the religious leaders come in and they can't find the Christians. Where are these Christians? And then a messenger comes in and says, we just heard they're out in the city. They're preaching again. They're sharing about this faith. And so the religious leaders, they're furious at this point. They head over and they see this large group of people who the apostles are speaking to. There's so many of them. And they're thinking, we need to arrest these men. But if we arrest these men, we might get stoned by all these people who are fired up about this movement, who are listening, who've been healed, who are, who are eager to get in on the action. And so, this is where we're going to pick up in our story. Acts 5, verse 27 and 28 says this. 
They're standing before the council. They're actually, the religious leaders are too afraid to arrest the men, and so it's like they went to Peter and said, Hey, Peter, can you just place yourselves under arrest and all follow quietly back to jail? And Peter agrees to it. So the apostles, they arrest themselves in a sense. They go back to jail and they stand before trial. And here's what happens. It says, When they brought them, they set them before the council. This is a religious council, a Jewish religious council. And the high priest, the top guy, he questioned them and he said this, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Now look at that. He doesn't even say in Jesus' name. He just says, in the name. It's interesting. 2,000 years later, this name is still disrupting people's lives. It's still offensive to some. It's still, you can hardly say it. We can talk about God. We can talk about religion. We can talk about other religious leaders. But as soon as you mention the name Jesus, man, it's like walls go up. And this is exactly what's happening here. He won't even say the name of Jesus. He's saying, charge you not to teach in this name, and he continues, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend, he says, to bring this man's blood on us. us. So the religious leaders are accusing the apostles of making them feel guilty for Jesus' death. And Peter and the apostles are like, well, you, you were. You are. We were there, he's saying. We stood there as you arrested Jesus, trumped up charges about him, and then had him crucified and died. It says this, But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God. The religious leaders are saying, you keep quiet. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed. Again, he's pointing the finger back at them. You guys killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree. And God has exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses. See, this is what makes it different. He's saying, this isn't just something we believe in it's not a nice story we heard he said we were witnesses we were there we saw him die and then we saw him rise from the dead and they're saying if it weren't for the fact that we saw it then yeah we 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 don't we wouldn't have anything to stand upon but christianity was not just a great story but it, it came from people who were there it it spread out because witnesses the eyewitnesses were there and the movement exploded through their sharing with others Peter gets up, he's preaching, and every time he gets a chance, he gets up and he just starts preaching and preaching and preaching. Verse 33 says this, When they heard this, they were enraged. They're just ticked. These religious leaders, they're ticked, and they wanted to kill them. I mean, these are the same people who put the ringleader, Jesus, to death. A little over two months now at this point ago, they had just killed Jesus. Then here's the best opportunity. You've got all Jesus' top followers, these 12 leaders. If you... Want to squash this whole movement? Now's the time to do it. You took out the leader, now take out the eyewitnesses. And so, this is what they're moving towards. But look at what happens. Verse 34. A Pharisee. A Pharisee is kind of like a religious... He's a strict religious leader within this sect of people that are really, really intent on obeying the law. Dotting every I, crossing every T in the Old Testament law. Says a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, this guy Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. He's a pretty famous religious leader. He stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He says, Let's, he's like, I want to have a talk with the council. And he removes the apostles. So they stand outside. And then he turns and he says to the rest of the Jewish council, Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. He's saying, Be careful. Let's not be let's not just be hasty. And he's taking a real pragmatic approach. Look what he says. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. Here's what happened to this man, Thutis. 
He was killed. Gamaliel is reminding them of this man who rebelled against Rome. It says, he rebelled, he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and this whole thing came to nothing. Thutis' whole movement, it just was, it, it, it was like this excitement, and then Rome came and squashed Thutis and the movement. All the followers dispersed everything. They, it went to nothing. It didn't go on. He's saying, we're all, we're all familiar with that story, right? And they're like, oh yeah, we remember Thutis. Then verse 37, after him, Judas the Galilean, history tells us that Judas the Galilean was a rebel who didn't want to be included in a census that the Romans were using for taxation purposes. Most of us would probably agree, you know. And this guy, he just rose up. He's like, I don't want to be part of that. And so he had a group of people that followed him. They were known, they became known as the Zealots. They were Zealots. And they rebelled against Rome. So he's bringing up this man named Judas, and he says this, After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. He's saying that if if we just keep our hands clean, at some point Rome is going to step in, and they're going to take care of this problem. If we, we We don't want the blood of all these men on our hands. He said, let's just let this thing play out, because in the past when rebellions happen, when movements start, Rome steps in and squashes it and it dies. And he's he's saying, so, verse 38, in this present case with these Jesus followers, he's saying, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Implication. If this is a human movement, it's going to fail. If this is just originated by men, it's going to fail because Rome will not let it succeed. Rome was not against Christianity. Rome was against any movement that came up against Rome. It wasn't just, we think, oh, Rome hated Christians. Well, they hated anybody who opposed Rome. And they were willing to remove and take and oppose anyone who stood up against Rome. And so Gamaliel simply saying, the only thing that would overcome the power and the control of Rome is God. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. If this is God behind it, we're not going to be able to stop this. If this is going to be something that breaks out in real change, it would take an act of God, not an act of man. And if Gamaliel were here today to see the little movement that has exploded that we know as Christianity from this small band, you know, he'd be amazed. It was an act of God that advanced Christianity beyond the first century because it would have been extinguished if it were an act of man. Rome is filled with crosses. I've never been there, but if you see pictures, there's crosses on all the buildings, right? Some of you have been there. There's crosses. You look around the, you know, the aerial views and you just see these big buildings of churches and Christianity advanced in that region of the world. So the other religious leaders, they hear Gamaliel out and they agree. And they decide... We're going to send the disciples away, but not before punishment. Verse 40 says, So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles back in the room, they beat them, meaning they flogged them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Flogging, in some cases, was a death sentence. To flog someone was to beat them with a leather, like a leather whip with pieces of wood, steel, and possibly glass tied into the end. And you beat a person until the skin was pulled off their back 
and off their stomach, and then you let them go. And so for several hours, these disciples, these followers, they're waiting in line for their turn as their brothers are whipped, permanently scarred. And every time these men would change their shirts, every time they would go swimming, every time they would take a bath, those scars would be a visual and vivid reminder of that day. And perhaps for me, just to be honest, if I knew that was what was coming, I'm not sure I would have went and been as bold. I probably would have went undercover. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I mean, that's how we think we're Americans. We, don't, we are in this safe place and we protect our safety. And we're... Listen to these men's response. Verse 41, Then they left, so they'd just been beaten. Watched each other being beaten and flogged. Scarred. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Wow. Rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. For the rest of their life, people would see these men and see those scars and they would know to some extent these men are criminals. Man, they suffered dishonor for his name. And here we are, we're so concerned that something negative is going to happen to us if we're bold if we speak up, if we say anything about our faith. And our first century forefathers, the founders of this faith, they would say, are you kidding? To have suffered, to have lost something, to have been disfigured because of the name of Jesus, are you kidding? It's the thing I'm most proud of. And they were just rejoicing for this. He gave his life, the thing he gave his life for me. I gave up the skin on my back for him. He gave up his life for me. He died for me. My reputation has been damaged because of him. It was worth it. But what has happened to the American church? What has happened to us? We've been blessed with so many things. God's given so much to us in this country. And yet it has, we've been stripped of our boldness. Look at verse 42. It continues. Every day, this is so amazing, every day in the temple and from house to house. No, they don't even go, they don't even find a different place to tell people about Jesus. They go to the temple. That's the epicenter of ancient Judaism. They head right in the fiercest part of the fight and they share boldly and they continue on. And then they go house to house. They're they're buying up every opportunity. They have this large gathering and then they have these small gatherings. This whole idea is where we get the idea for having a corporate worship service like this and then small group things. It really is patterned after this, this church that was they had this large group gathering and small group gathering. When you're in small groups, you're able to kind of get down into real life. Practical. You can look someone across the, in the eye and just, you know, we're able to, wow, be, be encouraged and motivated and challenged by what other people are learning and sharing. And Well, this whole idea that originated there, this came after they were beaten. And they're not afraid. They went back to the same temple. They didn't hide out. I want to show you a video clip. Because honestly, we are so far removed from this story, aren't we? We're like, wow, that's amazing. And honestly, Christianity would not have made it out of the first century if it wasn't for these bold believers. They wouldn't have made it. If they had kept silent, it would not have advanced. Most Americans never experience anything like what we read. There's a, a friend of mine sent me a, a video clip of this man. He's a missionary. And when he was younger, he was a missionary to Iran. He went with a friend to Iran to share about Jesus in a place that was not favorable of that message. And 
He was, he's now with a group called YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and he's helping people grow in their faith. He has a part of a much, much larger ministry. But he was leaving after his mission kind of trip into this country. And as he's leaving the country, he stopped at the border and the people inspect his papers and he's arrested. And he's in prison for weeks. And he's beaten daily. He's interrogated. He's beaten. Why are you here? Why are you here? And it gets to the point where it got so bad, he thought he was going to die there. He was pretty convinced he would die. And so it got so bad that he decides, I'm going to kill myself because I can't go on. I don't want to die here. I'd rather just end my life. And so he ties, he finds, he pulls some, I guess, fabric off the mattress. He ties to get it around his neck. And he fills up the sink that's in his cell and he's going to drown himself and trying to figure out a way to do it. To knock his head on the sink and then just fall and drown in there or to attach the thing to hold him down. And he's trying to figure out and he's not able to do it. He said, four times I tried to do it. I couldn't do it. I was too afraid. And But he was in this point of just true desperation. He felt like everyone had abandoned him. God had even He felt like, God, I'm here for you. And, and in that moment, he said he had this vision. He saw Jesus and he said that Jesus said, I'm here with you. I'm going to carry you through this. He, the guy's name is Dan Bauman, B-A-U-M-A-N-N. I want to show you a brief video because at one point Jesus strengthened him and he just felt like, I, I can hang in there. And this vision created some boldness. I want to show you what happens as he's deciding not to kill himself. God began to challenge me with his love for our enemies. And he said this, he's like, Dan, ask me what I think about you this man and he asked me the question about the man who was my interrogator the man who beat me the man who seemed to hate me the most and it was a few days into it that I finally asked God okay yeah what do you think of this man and at that moment yeah my heart opened up and I began to see God's love for this man how he loved him from the beginning how he made him how he loved his family and I'll never forget the last day I saw him I remember on this day thinking, oh my gosh, what's it going to do today? And at that moment, I remember looking at him and I said this. I said, sir, if I'm going to see you the rest of my life, every day, why don't we become friends? He's like, no, that's impossible. And I said, sir, you can start by telling me your name. And I stuck out my hand to him and I said, sir, let's be friends. And as I stuck out my hand to shake his hand, he just stood there and he froze. And after a few minutes, he started to shake. And then all of a sudden, I saw his hand creep towards mine, and he shook my hand. And as he's shaking my hand, I saw these tears start to roll down his face. And for about 10 minutes, he just shook my hand, and tears streaming down his face. And he finally looks at me, and he says this. He's like, Dan, and he calls me by my name. My name is Razak, and I would love to be your friend. And it caused me to see that there is no heart too hard for Jesus. That he can change the hardest heart. God taught me to love my enemies. I heard these guards talking about the foreigners, me and my friend. They're Christians. They follow Jesus. And another one was said, oh, these foreigners, they knew they could have problems when they came here. But they have purpose. They've got a reason to live and a reason to die. And that's what I want. And I heard three of these men say, yeah, today we are going to follow Jesus. We are going to follow the way. And if that was part of the reason why God allowed me down there, uh, yeah, so be it. 
And just like, yeah, those guards in prison, I long for people to know today how good Jesus is, that he can rescue us in the midst of pain, in the midst of our shame, our brokenness. He wants to meet us and that he is good no matter what we're going through and that he loves us. I found out indirectly that I was under two death sentences, one for being a missionary, one for being a spy. And again, in that prison, I heard executions, yeah, quite regularly. And it was my moment in a courtroom. I stood on the stand, hundreds of people in the room, video cameras, judges. And then came the question, tell us today, sir, why? Why did you come to Iran? Something rose up within me that, yeah, the power of God. And I remember looking at the judge and saying this, I came to Iran to tell you about Jesus Christ. And when I said that, I'm like, oh, what did I say? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I said it again. And then I said it again. And then something started to grow in my heart. And for about 20 minutes, I just preached the gospel. And I told everyone in that courtroom, and I told everyone who could hear me all about who Jesus is, all about how much he loved him. All of a sudden, I realized something. I am free. I am free. So what if they kill me? My life is bought by the blood of Jesus. My home is in heaven, and no one can take that away. And I realized that in the midst of death itself, God gave me the grace to stand up and speak the truth. And in doing so, it brought freedom in my heart, knowing that this life isn't it. There is more. And I'm going home one day, and no one can take that away. What, what are we supposed to do with that? What are, what, what are we supposed to do with this story? What are we supposed to do with this story? These guys are flogged and beaten and they head back into the temple to preach some more, knowing what that may bring. I, I, we're at some point, we received you know, the, the church. The church has been handed down from generation to generation. And over time, the boldness of the church has tapered off to where it's gotten more and more comfortable, especially here in America. At some point, we're going to hand this church on, this church locally, and just this generation. We'll be handing the church on. We have to ask ourselves, what condition will we be handing the church off in? Will it be this safe, American, safe, protective environment? Or will we begin to grow in our boldness so that we hand it off in better condition than we inherited the church? I think it's something we've got to wrestle with. And honestly, for most part, we, we, we watch a story like that and we think, wow, that is amazing. And I'd encourage you to watch the whole thing. DanBauman.com. B-A-U-M-A-N-N. You can see the whole story on there and find through in the video section. But where do we start? Where do we start? What does it mean for me to be bold? On the back, just three quick suggestions. One would be, bold is deciding to say something Deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. That's what it means to be bold. Deciding to say something when it would be much easier to say nothing. We run into these situations all the time. Someone moves into your street. You have an opportunity to just kind of sprinkle the conversation with something positive, with something about what God is doing in your life. Now, again, not in a weird way. Not in in an obnoxious way, which is what most of the time is what happens. We think, I've got to be bold. So then we become weird and obnoxious. And then people can't relate to people in the church. And there's this distinction between there's the church people and then there's normal people. And and we've had such a hard time figuring out how to interact in the world, in the real world. 
But someone's going through something at work and you're thinking, I know exactly what they're going through. Bold is saying something in that moment rather than being silent. You say, you know what? Man, I can really identify what you're talking about. And sharing about difference that Christ has made in your life, how He's helped in that area. Bold is speaking up. Because we always have those encounters where after it's over we think, why did I stay silent? Why didn't I say something? They invited me in. They invited the opportunity. And I just, it was so much easier to say nothing. Another thing is bold is taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. If we start praying for boldness, we're going to recognize bold. We're going to recognize opportunities that just crop up everywhere. I was with a friend of some friends of ours last night. My family went and visited with a, some friends of ours that we, along with some others, had helped come to know Jesus about eight years ago. They live in a different city, and every once in a while, I just love to go and have a barbecue and see how they're doing and interact with them and their families. Just neat to see. And I remember when I met this guy. He was an LAPD officer, and at the time, you know, I'm going into the ministry. I'm be a pastor, and I'm trying. How do I find common ground with this guy? And I, you know, we both serve and protect, right? So I'm like spiritually, spiritually territory advancing. He's just dealing with things with batons and weapons and stuff, and pray weapons. I mean, it's some similar similarities, but playing softball on this team with this guy and getting to know him, and and it would have been easy to say nothing and just to not be bold and to just be silent and to just never really bring up my faith. And because I really wrestled with, what's he going to think? Well, maybe this, he may not want to talk to me ever again. Well, you know, over time, he started warming up to God. And we invited him to church, comes to church. Then there was this opportunity to invite him to a men's retreat that our church was doing. And I'm thinking, I knew God was wanting me to invite him to the men's retreat. And I'm thinking, this isn't going to make any sense to this guy. Has no church background, LAPD, in a really rough division. I'm thinking, I'll sell them on the sports side of it. You know, there's sports, competition. So I was like, and there's a lot of messages and singing. And messages and singing aren't that popular for men, are they? And so, but the sports and the competition was enough. I'll go. He was really hesitant, but I'll go. And he's there, new environment. But you know, it was a really good experience. He met a bunch of guys he could relate to. Was it possible that I could have offended him by inviting him? Definitely. It's possible that that could have been a breaking point. Was it possible that he would have beaten me and flogged me? No, not a chance. I mean, he is a cop, but we're, we don't run the risk that people run in other countries. Our fears are so different. Let's take the opportunities. Last thing, boldness is creating opportunities. Ben, you guys can go ahead and come up. And Boldness is creating opportunities. If you're willing, you can take a look around. There's a number of people in our lives that God has placed there intentionally. Just like that early band of followers of Christians, those early Christians were spreading this message about Jesus. You know, everybody's going to live somewhere forever. And we know the answer to that dilemma. There's a verse in, in John. There are some people here who really believe this simple verse. I know some of you really believe the truth of this verse. For God so loved the world. That's you. That's me. It's not church people. It's He loves the world that He gave. He didn't ask for something. He didn't require something. Scripture just says He gave something that was most precious to Him. His only Son, that whoever believes in Him 
should not perish. That means their life won't lose all meaning and significance when they breathe their last breath in this life. But they will have eternal life. Jesus came to solve the mystery of eternity. He came to answer the deepest questions that we ask. If when you come to church, or if when you think of church, it's a negative thought, let me apologize for the way that we have lived out the faith. It's sometimes embarrassing to think about the way that that we as American Christians have lived our faith out. And honestly, I'm also encouraged. I'm encouraged because, man, as a church, we've, we've, I feel like, try to get in the community. We've tried to connect with people. We've taken some bold steps. We've tried to say, hey, let's not just be about ourselves and about a bunch of church people for a bunch of insiders who form a club. Let's, let's really be bold in the way that we advance and we share. I'm so grateful for the people that shared with me, that loved me and, and asked me questions and helped me nail down my faith. And we, we have that opportunity. It's a privilege to share with others. So let's be bold. There's a few next steps on the back of your connection card. You want to take these out. A couple of things you might say, you know, I'd like to respond to this message. And really, per- I feel like God is saying, I need to take some action steps. Here's some things you could mark on the back of this card and let us know. We'll, we'll be aware that you're taking these steps. Read Acts 9 through 14. Just keep reading through the book of Acts. It'll kind of help prepare you for the messages and reinforce some of the things we're talking about. The next one is identify the areas of my life where I play it safe. Just think about where am I playing it way too safe? Write those things out. Or maybe God has said, you need to be bold with so-and-so. Or you need to be bold at that place. And you just, you feel like there are some people that I'm saying nothing. It's just easy to say nothing. Bold is deciding to say something when it's easier to not. Let's go ahead and pray as we continue on. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the way that you have advanced this movement through centuries. Thank you that we, we have this, the Word of God, the Bible, and that we can read about your intention for the church, your intention for our lives, your intention for, every, for the life of every person who's ever lived. That we don't have to live without purpose, without meaning, but that we can connect with you, the God who made us, and that we can relate to you. And we can have the, the fullest life, God, a life of purpose and meaning. Lord, I pray for more boldness in our lives. I pray that we'd continue to add elements of boldness in our prayers and that we'd speak up, not in annoying ways, not in obnoxious ways. So, Lord, help us to be intentional. Help us to be thinking about this whole area. Because, Lord, you've placed us here to be a light in this very dark world. And I pray that you'd use us as a church to advance the message of Jesus in this generation for your glory, not for our own, but for your praise, your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.